You're listening to the Yumentra Talk Show. I'm your host, Fatima Al Sayed, and this week's show is brought to you by Maxwell Medical. On this weekly talk show, we invite experts to learn from their career journeys as professionals in their fields. Tune in every week on Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time to hear the advice of these professionals. And remember, if you have any questions throughout the show, just leave them in the comments section and we'll get to them by the end. Today's guest is Zuhair Hosseini. Zuhair is a designer who devotes his passions towards the Ahlul Bayt and the Holy Quran through his recitations. Assalamu alaikum, Zuhair. How are you? Alaikum salam. Doing well. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Thank you. Um, so, just a little background on you. You're, you have a lot of hobbies going on. You are a Quran reciter, um, also graphic designer for Islamic art specifically, and um, your field of study is architecture and you're currently working in the field. Um, that's a, just a recap for all of our listeners. Um, so let's start by talking about the thing you started first. Which one was it? The thing which I started first, uh, actually, Drawing was probably something I did from an early age, but mm-hmm. Quran recitation was something I took more seriously in around age 9, 10, 11. Mm-hmm. Very young age. Yeah, I, things just naturally kind of, especially drawing, flowed to me. And I just kept with it on a daily, weekly basis. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of your Quran recitation, how did you at such a young age think, you know, I want to continue with this and I want to keep doing this and... Um, really learn it better and recite. So um, I was enrolled in the Quran class, just like you know other kids were. You know, your weekly madrasa we learn to recite the Quran, and I would also give adhan. And I knew that I had the ability to use my voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and what happened was, a few years, maybe around age twelve, there's a funeral which I recited at, and. Um, I had a lot of encouragement from community members and especially mm-hmm. from uh, my parents. And after that, I began to pr- take it more seriously. I would um, begin because I didn't have a proper teacher because it's one thing to learn the recitation of the Quran from a just reading standpoint and another mm-hmm. to um, recite in front of people and to learn the art of reciting Quran. And I would listen to recitations online from Egyptian reciters and just basically imitate them because that's mm-hmm. the the best way to learn the art of reciting. You didn't have um, like actual lessons, um, mentors, tutors? No, I in the beginning I didn't. Um, mm-hmm. Later on, I um, there was an Egyptian imam in New York City, which I knew from age five because and that's when I, when I attended my first competition. I was like a comedian in the mosque, and he had he was a judge. And I reached mm-hmm. out to him years later. I was like, "Hey, can I come by or something?" And I would go to him maybe once every few months because he lived far away, and I was young and I couldn't really commute. So um, I'd see him here and there, and we'd uh, he'd mentor me, give me some tips. And then I would basically take his advice and run with it. But on a week, I I didn't have a proper instructor as in like one-on-one on on a weekly basis or monthly basis. It was kind of search online for whatever information I could find, which is scarce to begin with recitation in English Mm -hmm. and basically make the best of it. 
So beginning it in English because um, Arabic isn't your first language, correct? It, correct. It, it, can you repeat that? Sorry. Sorry, I'm saying um, you had to sort of learn your way um, into Quran recitation in English. Yes, initially, base, because it, the uh, your first language is in Arabic, right? Right. My first mm -hmm. language is Farsi, and okay. yeah, I had to basically learn whatever use English material to learn Arabic. Did that make it harder, or did you feel that it was sort of easier to understand? I think it the uh, instructions, whatever you could find, is you know. It seems easy at that time, mm -hmm. but you could be making a mistake or you, you could be essentially not reciting something Correct. properly mm -hmm. and there's no one there to correct you. Mm -hmm. So what advice do you have for someone who, I mean, if you were to go back and give yourself advice at that age, uh, what advice would you give yourself? I'd say, first off, if you can find someone in the community to help you out, great. But if you can't, it shouldn't stop you mm -hmm. because looking back where now, I mean, this is a close to 15 years later and there's a lot more resources out there there's actually books written you know by scholars for our community which touch on you know recitation of quran but if the passion is there nothing can stop you and you will end up pursuing um what it is that you love doing um so moving on to your current uh field uh you're an uh, you're an architect uh, what inspired you to continue through that path? Was it your start within drawing? What made you think, you know, I'm going to take this skill that I have in art and transfer it to um, architecture? So art drawing was always something that I always did. Mm -hmm. um, in the beginning, it was drawing cars. I'd take a sketchbook every week to, um, at home to the mosque, and I was always drawing mm -hmm. cars. And it was, something, it was the only thing I liked doing. And then later on, um, I would make you know, different Islamic things and go post that up on in the masjid walls. And if it was like um, the birth of an imam or something. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I kind of had an idea that I, I wanted to go in a creative path around high, beginning of high school. I was taking a, a, core, a class in architecture, drawing, animation. And I bounced around different things like uh, going to automotive design, designing commercial airliners, film school. And I chose architecture because it's, I saw it as an avenue where you create, you get to create something and um, it's something that could last forever. It's a, the impact you can have on a visitor entering a space and what kind of um, experience that you let them have in that space. And these are the things I wanted to do is basically to create something. Another avenue could have been an industrial designer or film, but architecture mm -hmm. is the way, especially in our community, it's very rare to find architects. I saw it as a kind of a niche thing to go into. Mm -hmm. uh, when you entered the field, what were the requirements for you to uh, apply, get in, uh, finish your license? Take us through that path. So I'd say architecture school is extremely rigorous. Um, mm -hmm. Many people don't seem to think that. They think, you know, maybe med school is the the hardest thing out there or law mm -hmm. school. But if I were to tell you, after the second class, design class I had, this is freshman year, half of the class dropped wow. the course because they realized, I mean, each of these classes were five hours long, twice a week. And you had one every year until you finished, basically. And it got harder and harder. But m so many people... Um, 
dropped out because they're like, I can't do this. And they're like, I can't devote this much time to it. And I, if I were to be honest, in the beginning, I was pulling all nighters to finish assignments. And I didn't realize this is going to be a norm for the next five years. Wow. And I only kicked in, I'd say the end of first year. I was like, so this is how it's going to be. And since then, you know, I would basically, you know, get four or five hours of sleep a night mm-hmm. trying to get these. It's not that I would procrastinate. It's just there's a lot of work to, to, to present to get this design up for. And then we mm-hmm. semester we had two or three projects. And then after the third day, we had to submit a portfolio to see if we'd get accepted. Because in, in the U.S., you have you either go to a four-year pro- program and then two-year master's or a mm-hmm. five-year, which... Um, you don't get a master's, but it's a Bachelor of Architecture, and that kind of um, as, uh, makes it easier to get your license because uh, and you have to take six exams and then work approximately two and a half, used to be around 5,000 hours postgraduate mm-hmm. to be eligible to basically take the exam and become licensed. In other parts of the world, in Canada, it's very similar. Um, Either examinations are a little less, but mm-hmm. it's usually at least five years of schooling, if not six. So in terms of um, people who want to enter this field, uh, maybe current high school students or college students who are currently in the field, um, what are some what, what advice can you give them that could help them to either make a decision to improve their chances of getting a job further on? Um, for example, is there any um, courses to take, internships, extracurriculars that they can take part in? I'd say the first thing that matters is um, you need to have a creative side to you. But then I, I could also argue that there are many people in my class that hated drawing and couldn't draw, but they liked architecture. But mm-hmm. you could see there are some struggles and it's, it's, for, it's, but having this ability to create or envision something is extremely important. Um, what I did in high school, I had had an internship at a film slash, you know, animation studio. So I got to experience that one summer. And then I reached out to a firm in New York City of where an, an architecture firm just to go inside to see how it is. And, and an architect showed me around and showed me a few things. And that was nothing compared to what I was going to see later in college Mm -hmm. like if someone told me this is how architecture school is I don't know if I would have stayed but at that point I was already in so I couldn't switch couldn't leave yeah I couldn't leave I mean I technically but I was like this is I I went to specific school Mm -hmm. and it it wasn't horrible it's just it's really um you have to grind it out and if you love it that much then it, it, it doesn't um doesn't matter because you're still going to do it but mm-hmm. I'd say if you can take you know drawing classes usually high schools have specific drawing classes that relate to architecture and technical drawing that gives you know um, a good background to mm-hmm. knowing learning these softwares and using them maximizing the tools. So we spoke a bit about the skill and drawing that it takes to be um, in architecture to become an architect you need to have a certain level of skill in that. What other skills should someone have? Um, I'd say, I mean, I, I, I've had conversations about this with other creatives and it's, mm-hmm. it's just, everyone has it in some capacity or in some, some, for some people, 
it's film. They envision a certain scene, whether it's the camera and the motion. Uh, I think just this, some people, you know, you, they, they just don't have that ability. And, but they have other passions or other skills. Like, like I, if I were to count how many papers I wrote in, in university in five years, it's probably three or four papers, mm-hmm. which is probably nothing compared to other people. And those all basically architecture history, which I absolutely hated, but I had to do because you have to know the basics or what, what came before you and things like that. But I'd say I, from my experience, the way I look at it, some people just have the edge. Mm-hmm. Some people don't. And certain things you can learn, but it's going to be, it may be harder or you may realize that, you know, this is not for me. And I, and, and even two or three years later into taking these classes, I saw people drop out to like, you know, like, I, this is not for me. And sometimes mm-hmm. you, I feel like you think you have, the, it's not really, I wouldn't say, it all depends on what's more important to you or if you think this is worth it. Yeah. And in terms of courses, um, let's say for a high school student who's trying to get into um, architecture or a school, um, what courses do you recommend that they really focus on um, in high school? Um, I'd say anything design-wise, drawing-wise. Like, I didn't take any graphic design classes because I already had experience with the software even like on my own time I'd play around with like I was playing out with 3D software and I was in middle school so I I always loved this 3D atmosphere and yes that was one avenue to go into animation and you know, work on I was like okay I don't work for DreamWorks or Pixar and mm-hmm. design these things but at the same time you could do that in architecture and the, once you spend time to explore different field different um different avenues of of just to see what you like and what you don't like Mm -hmm. um because this is the the one time i see high school even college i mean college yes you have to devote yourself to a major and pursue that but even spend your free time um like and just do different things to see what i like what i don't like like i was i i would say from early on i had good direction because i just instantly gravitated towards it I, I, i like doing this and I even did 2D animation and I did, I even did website design at one point, mm-hmm. but I realized, okay, I could do this, but it's, I'm not crazy about it. And I realized this is what I want to do. And I pursued towards that. Is there a certain level of um, math, physics, those uh, sciences that you need? Uh, um, people think, I mean, yes and no. I okay. like we, you don't have to be this crazy, not crazy, but like this genius mathematician to do architecture. Um, that's one thing that put me off, which I didn't like do aeronautical design because you mm-hmm. actually do need that. But for architecture, yes, every semester I took like statics, concrete, steel, learning, um, all these different materials and the formulas mm-hmm. associated with it to see how they react and what are their properties. Yes, there's math involved and I'm not going to say I'm the best at it, but um, it gave me an understanding of overall general design related to these materials. But it's not like if you're not good in math, um, it's in the world. I mean, in the real world, in the, in the, in the real world, you're not the one doing these calculations. Most okay. of the time, you have an understanding of what you need. The engineer takes care of it, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't know what's going on. But mm-hmm. it's not like if you don't, if you're not good in math, then you should forget architecture. Definitely mm-hmm. not the case. Um, so 
going a little into further into your architecture school, you had a final project um, that was very interesting. Uh, can you tell us about what the initial prompt was and what your proposal? Yes, yeah, so the fifth year is the, basically all the all the shackles are kind of released and you get to do whatever you want for the most part. And the prompt that was given to me for to our part class was affordable housing in New York City. And mm -hmm. while, while this was, it's a great topic to um, in, in investigate, I didn't want to do it because this is the only year you get to do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. And I, um, I had this idea to pre prepare a proposal for a redesign and rebuilding of Jat al-Baqi in uh, the city of Medina. And I, after the end, I knew that this, my thesis advisor, I had had him two years before that. So I, mm -hmm. I kind of, actually, wait, a year before that. So I kind of knew how he was. And he's a great professor. I was like, okay, I want to, this is what I want to do instead of the affordable housing. And he said, okay, you know, sh prove it to me or show me what's in this. So I spent a week researching, putting together a board of, a presentation board of architectural problems to tackle if there's any substance to this okay. and to basically convince him and there's many problems to fix or tackle and he gave me the green light and I spent the rest of the mm -hmm. year working on that. That's amazing I was gonna say how did you convince um, you know in a western school to pursue uh, such an Islamic project? I think it's definitely doable it just first off um, you need to, I guess, convince them that it has more merit than, yes, I happen to be Muslim, I happen to be passionate about this, but there needs to be it's substance. Yeah, mm -hmm. there needs to be substance to it where this is an actual problem to, to solve. And he, he really tried to push me outside the box and think mm -hmm. outside the box because it's very easy to find because you, you think you know more about this than the professor. And to a certain degree, yes, you do. But it's very easy to, to um, feel in this comfortable zone where you're going to replicate the same kinds of things that are out there right now. Mm -hmm. But this is a whole new site that, you know, historically has been, uh, the, the Muslim has been demolished um, decades ago. And here you're trying to replicate it, but you're trying to do something new that hasn't been done before. So the mm -hmm. pre professor really helped me in that department. And even times I was stubborn and, didn't want to. Uh, I pushed back, but I really back, look, looking back, it was the perfect thing that I needed. And mm -hmm. but um, it's definitely doable. You just have to push towards it. I'd say. And that's interesting that you say that because it is something that it's a skill that you learn um, and you take it on with you. Um, and I think it's important to highlight that when you are passionate about something, don't let anything intimidate you. Um, you know, keep pushing through it until you uh, show why it's important and why you should be uh, looking at it more and considering it more. Um, so beyond this project, have you taken have you taken it beyond school? Yes, so what I have done, right after I had finished, this was June, it's not actually May of 2016, I presented this project at Islamic conferences in Chicago, Toronto, Washington DC, mm -hmm. Detroit, and I worked on co-authoring a, um, a book by, written by Sheikh Mohammed Al-Hilli from London about Jat Al-Baqi. It's mm -hmm. the first book in English that really touches on its past, present, and future. Um, 
I presented it at a Shia studies conference in uh, Köln, Germany. Mm-hmm. And then last year, I, um, the Atul Husseini, the management of the Hussein Shrine, has a um, small um, office or propagation group that does work for, for Imam Hassan Aisam in the city of Najaf. Mm-hmm. And they had seen my project through media, through um, Karbala TV and different outlets. And they wanted a model of this in, in Iraq. So last year, right before Shah Ramadan, I um, created the, because when I had finished my project, I had uh, computer animations, renderings, and a small wooden model, modest size, it's like 24 by 36, my own use, as well as for the presentation, they wanted a five by 10 wooden model, which included Masjid Nabawi in the context of the entire um, important site of the Baqi Cemetery, the hotels, the everything around it. Very so extensive. I, very extensive. Mm-hmm. I And what happened was I had just finished my fifth exam for licensing and I wanted to take a break before Shah Ramadan. And this opened up and I was like, I can't let it slide. Mm-hmm. So I spent day and night trying because I had to go, I had to do more, uh, which I hadn't done. I put these pieces together, designed them and then got them cut in New York. And then the goal was to um, have it done and built be- right before the birth anniversary of Imam Hassan Ali Salam. So I put all, put all this together, flew to Najaf um, a few days, actually no, a week and a half before the, that date that we we're targeting for. And once I got there, I assembled everything. And there was a lot of obstacles, I'd say. I, and, a week before, I was like, I shouldn't have taken this because it was, it was basically a one-man job and it's, it's too much to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but alhamdulillah, it worked out and it taught me many lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, so before we move on to your art and calligraphy, uh, we just wanted to let our, our listeners know that Emoji Outreach Foundation kicked off a brand new program that is just simply amazing for both our youth and elderly. It's called Adopt a Grandparent. It's a 12-month program where we match a youth of ages 7 to 21 with an elderly. In the program, they touch base with them every month and talk about a certain theme. For example, one month, the youth would try and learn what their adopted grandparent loves to eat and how to make it. We believe this is a great way to unite our youth with an elderly while giving both so much joy. So if you want to sign up or you know someone who would be interested and you want to sign them up, just visit www.emojioutreach.org slash care. Um, other than that, so going back into your calligraphy, can you tell us um, how you got into that? You didn't study graphic design, you said. Right, I didn't study. So there's graphic design, which deals with you know many things like logos, brochures, mm-hmm. and graphic presentation. And there's um, Arabic calligraphy, which is really a um, specific art it's just like Quran recitation, that the way that traditionally takes place is you have a master that teaches you um, the different scripts. And I always had an interest in Islamic art, there's different kinds. Um, and that's the one I gravitated towards. And throughout college, I would, I had the tools and I would make things, but I, um, I didn't, it was kind of like when I had time, I'd do something. And then for the most of college, I didn't, I actually stopped doing it. And it was a big mistake because I just, I don't know if I, I didn't think I was good enough or I just didn't do it. And then after I graduated, I had more time. 
and I started doing it again and I realized this is something I can actually, if I spend more time with, um, get better at and becomes another tool set to my um, toolbox, as one would say. Mm-hmm. And that's been something I've been doing over the last few years. I haven't learned under a master, but, um, and I, for, for right now, I focus on freestyle. But in the future, um, I do plan to um, travel to the Middle East and spend time with a calligraphy master to mm-hmm. master the scripts. Did it make it harder um, having to learn all of this on your own? You seem like a person who takes on things um, independently, no matter what. So what advice do you have for people who um, can't learn like that? I say, if you, again, same, then the same goes with the other passions. If the passion mm-hmm. is there, you're going to go after it no matter what. But yeah, definitely, it does make it harder because as many questions I have that I can't, go to someone to answer for me or I don't have the network capacity and um yeah over over the last two years I made some friends through social media where I could message them Mm -hmm. like hey what kind of paper are you using what kind of um ink are you using or what what why is this happening in this particular Mm -hmm. um piece of artwork but um and you know it's great because you're you're telling me to get advice to other people people reach out to me often for calligraphy or Quran and citation. I was going to say, I, do, they, do they get surprised when you ask them questions? Y- yeah. I, I, <laughs> um, I, but, you know, I'm like, listen, I'm, I'm over here in New York City where this stuff is not even like, it's like, it's a rare thing to find. I mean, you go to in Bahrain, I, I spent a few, uh, some time there, and everyone is literally a, a, an artist in this field. And it's like, wow. And same goes in Turkey. You have the example in Iran. You have the example, but here, you know, in the West, it's not a common thing, and it's um, it's rare to find someone that specializes. Me over there, there's like so many people you should, um, that you could easily ask them, and um, it's a great resource. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are almost at the end of our show, but um, something I wanted to ask you, which is a question that may tie everything that you do together. Um, how has Islam helped you on your road to success? I'd say Islam is gives meaning to everything I do. Mm-hmm. Um, there's many things that I find that um, I'm good at, or I can I have the ability to do, and it's all tawfiq and blessing from my parents and du'as and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. But Islam gives definition to okay, I have the capacity to do a through k or whatever mm-hmm. what really matters what's going to really benefit me and islam is that kind of the anchor um or the, the that guides me towards okay if i commit to this this is actually going to help whether it's you know spending my hobbies uh towards you know um islam the school of the bayt quran because these are the things that actually actually matter yes at the same time i have to make a living and support mm-hmm. myself but the end goal is these are all, um, they're not the goal, they're means to the goal that's going to come, you know, at Akhira. And that's that's what drives me, whether it's Quran citation, um, these little hobbies that I have, that's mm-hmm. really what, it, it gives definition to everything. Other than that, it's kind of useless. Because mm-hmm. everything you do does seem to go back into that um, route. You really do try to pull everything back to that core. Exactly. Uh, which is very nice to see um, and it's inspiring because you can go into any field and you can sort of 
uh, bring it back to that core and bring it back to your community in order to help um, and really uh, bring awareness, I think, um, especially in this right. society that we live in. Um, so we have come to the end of our show, unfortunately, but my final question for you is, what is your final piece of advice for our listeners? My final piece of advice is, I would say, I mean, it kind of depends. I want to give it something general where anyone, anyone can benefit, but particularly to people younger than me who are trying to understand what I should be doing with my life is spending time and understanding what really matters. Mm -hmm. um, and this really you know, depends on many things. I had mentors and from Sunday school, which helped me um, know or, or bring me to my, I guess, to my senses to like what really matters in this life and what is worth spending time with. Like I didn't, I mean, yes, I played you know, video games, but it's not something I spent my entire childhood doing. And I, to me, it helped me out where I spent time doing different things, which I realized, okay, five years from now, this is going to help me here. And that was huge. And sometimes many people don't have that ability or don't have people around them in their life in their lives that could give that um hope or some sense of guidance mm -hmm. for them is spend time to see what you like doing and how can how can you invest this towards uh the future it's not always about the grind the rising grind yes have fun no one said don't have fun but at the same time realize that there's a future to this and what's where where, where am i going to be five years from now ten years mm -hmm. from now what am i doing today to get there Thank you so much, Brothers Ahead. No problem. Thank you. Um, just reminding everyone, uh, Adopt-A-Grandparent is a 12-month program where we match a youth ages 7 to 21 with an elderly. Um, if you know a youth, if you are a youth, if you're a grandparent or you know a grandparent, please sign up on emojioutreach.org slash care. You were just listening to the UMentor Talk Show. If you missed this or future shows, you can always hear the replay on the UMentor website under prior talk shows. And while you're there, why not subscribe to our iTunes podcast so you never miss another show? If you want to reach out to any of our speakers, either today's speaker or previous speakers we've had on the show, visit our online platform at emojioutreach.org slash unleash the future slash groups, or just visit the UMentor website and hit the link for online platform. And don't forget, this year's Emoji Games 2020 are held in Richmond on July 3rd to 5th. Be sure to tune in next week on Saturday at 3 p.m. to hear from our next guest.